Hello, everybody. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm Zach. And this is MD Car Guys Podcast. Well, difficulties, but we are back. Absolutely. Mostly uh, due to the technical between our ears, but we're good. Uh, you can find us at MZ Car Guys on Instagram, uh, Instagram, and other stuff. Uh, also, MZ uh, Anchor.fm forward slash MZ Car Guys, and you can drop us a line at MZ Car Guys at gmail.com. Yes, thank you, Matt. <laughs> Transitions, yay! Uh, so, today we're kind of taking a little bit of a thing between. Um, the uh, the Italians, um, and um, the we're next going to do uh, the Americans. Yeah, in a little bit unconventional way, you know. Um, so I'm going to let Zach kind of take the lead on this because he's more of the history guy. But uh, essentially, it's going to be without being too much of a bummer. It's going to kind of a talk about the uh, the consolidation of the of the American car manufacturer. I mean. Realistically, we're down to two main players and then one electric sort of player, maybe a fringe player, maybe someday, uh, right? And we used to have, it was Zach, 20, 20 plus car manufacturers? Uh, so in total, since the, uh, since the 1890s, uh, there's been a little over 3,000 automotive manufacturers in the United States. Good Lord. The vast majority of which, I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually, if, if you really want to see it, uh, you go to Wikipedia and you go list of defunct automobile manufacturers in the United States. And it's a lot. Um, but most of them are from like, you know, just a few years. So not usually much. The vast majority of which uh, started in um, at around 1910, you know, 1905, 1910, um, and the vast majority of which were dead by the mid to late 20s. Um, and but that's just I because I because I, 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 I think you can kind of take a look at um, a lot of other uh, uh, industries that are the exact same way. I mean, you had phone manufacturers, you had electronic manufacturers, you had, you know, so many different things and, and, and only, only the strong will survive, you know, over the years and stuff. So, so, but it's one of the, one of the biggest things I think um, that kind of caused a lot of the, um, the die-off um, was you had in the and, and, and it's going to kind of sound a little uh, as Mark Twain once said history doesn't repeat itself but it often likes to rhyme <laughs> and uh, and that's uh, and, and, and that's kind of what we're seeing a little bit here and that's uh, there was uh, the, the powertrain war in, in the early 1900s, which was between steam, internal combustion, and electric. Uh, and now we're kind of seeing roughly the same thing now, only without steam. Uh, uh, because steam was the established 
you know, was the established power plant for 150 years before, you know, back, all the way back into the 1700s. So, you know, a lot of them were, were, were taken out by that. Um, but also a lot of them were just, you know, didn't have really good uh, business sense for the most part. Uh, you know, you had um, a lot of engineers and stuff like that who had grandiose ideas and uh, and sometimes they just they, they can't get hooked up with a proper business um, model um, and we'll be talking about this in probably a few weeks and stuff after we get done with the Americans um, uh, Sochihiro Honda had the exact same problem you know he was an engineer he didn't have very good business sense for the most part uh, which is why yeah anyways but um you know but you had you had a lot of prominent figures um in in, in the you know we've already talked about uh william c durant um i guess next week we're going to be talking about ford and henry ford um but you also have uh i think one of the well the one of the unsung heroes uh which would be um Ransom E. Olds, uh, who started Oldsmobile, uh, which was one of the first, um, you know, one of the first uh, to do, um, you know, cars and stuff in, in, in the early 1900s, um, later was pushed out by the previously mentioned William C. Durant, um, and then founded uh, Rio, R-E-O, um, which... Uh, is still alive today as Diamond Rio. Uh, that makes uh, large, uh, heavy-duty truck stuff. So, but but yeah, I mean it, it, the the great die-off of the early 1900s um, was quite dramatic, and and it really kinds of it really kind of talks about the the. The, the history of the United States more so because a lot of this, you know, you had, you had the bicycle movement, which was the late 1800s. And, and a lot of, uh, a lot of people who worked on bicycles and dealt with bicycles and so forth um, would later on go to do other stuff. Uh, Honda was one of them. Um, the Wright brothers were bicycle mechanics, um, you know, so forth and so on. And, but uh, America was largely in the late 1800s, early 1900s, we were largely an isolationist country. You know, we, we didn't want to get involved too much in, uh, in everything else around the world and stuff. And so, you know, the idea of this globalization, um, I, I know it's really difficult for uh, a lot of our younger audience to remember, but even at, you know, like when Matt and I grew up in the 80s and even into the early 90s, understanding another person's culture was very difficult. And so the exchange of information 
um, didn't happen very readily. And so there was a lot of uh, mistrust among people, among businesses and so forth, among inventors. Um, you had some people who took advantage of this. Um, Thomas Edison kind of comes to mind. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's interesting in how many people built stuff, it didn't work out, and it was absorbed into something else. Um, one of the, uh, you know, you had uh, Nash, you had uh, Kaiser, you had um, Duesenberg. Oh my gosh. Duesenberg would be probably one of one of the big ones because uh, it's it's amazing that Duesenberg was only around for uh, seventeen years. You still with me, Matt? Yeah, still here. I mean, the uh, only thing I was going to say was the uh, I mean, Duesenberg is probably as close as America's come to a true. Mercedes-Benz competitor, especially, you know, at the time when they were both, you know, contemporaries. I'd almost say more than. I, I would say the Duesenberg was on the level of... Like a Bentley? Yeah, Bentley or or even, um, you know, the, uh, you know, Rolls-Royce. Well, well wasn't, wasn't Duesenberg, was, was, didn't they have sort of a... Not, not a racing pedigree, but a, but a racing enthusiasm like Bentley did. Because Rolls-Royce was never about racing. They were never about motorsport. It was always about personal luxury. Or my Well, I mean, you've got, I mean, yes, for the most part. I mean, Duesenberg was about uh, powerful luxury. Okay, um, so more Rolls-Royce. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, you did have, I mean, they did have a a, a victory at Le Mans, twenty one. It's early twenties. I know that they 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 actually won at Le Mans because so, Rolls would never have bothered competing in anything like that. They were never about how fast you could go, you know, or you know how fast you could go around a racetrack, even. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a more yeah more of an American version of the Bentley. That sounds about right. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, it it was the, realistically, Duesenberg didn't really come into its its own until the Model Js, um, and the Model Js are really what made Duesenberg Duesenberg. That's the classic. Uh, long draped hood and then you had the supercharged uh, model j's that had uh these exhaust you know the, you know the uh, the big supercharged uh they had the big uh uh these big uh dead comment yeah the, the 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 big exhaust uh things that would come out of the side of the hood and everything and you know and, and i think the Duesenberg straight eight is probably one of the most beautiful engines ever ever built i mean it's just gorgeous with that 
you know, all this chrome and brushed nickel and brass and and they're the beautiful green engines and you kind of look in there and stuff. Easy, easy. Keep it in your pants. I know, I know. But but yeah, but I mean, you know, it's... <sighs> so, yeah, I mean, it, I, I, I would say that Duesenberg was... If I had to, if I had to find a contemporary that was most like Duesenberg, I would probably have to say more like Hispano Souza. Suiza, Suiza. Sorry, Hispano Suiza. Um, you know that there. That makes sense. Yeah, it it was. It it was. It was definitely. yeah, they were they were really really nice and stuff. But and, and, and guys, real quick, if you don't know anything about a Duesenberg or a, or Hispano Suiza S U I Z A, please go to Jay Leno's garage on YouTube and look at those vehicles. He will that will show you everything you need to know. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. Jay Leno has, I think, one of the largest Duesenberg collections out there. Uh. Including, I think he has a, uh, a a bare frame Model J, like 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 just seats and engine, running gear and stuff like that. Because uh, in the early 1800s, you didn't really, for the most part, you didn't buy a car complete. Uh, early early bought, 1900s. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, early 1900s. Right. You took and, it to a coach builder. Yeah, and you had you know especially these these high ends uh uh like i saw um uh, i think it was a hispano suiza um at uh at the uh at the blackhawk auto museum in uh, in uh, in in danville california is is probably they, they have one that uh that i think i think it's made of Bless you, sir. But uh, but yeah, I mean, but it it just you you had so many people because one of the things that's kind of interesting is, and it's kind of the it's kind of the opposite of what we're dealing with now, and that's in the early 1900s. Labor was cheap, and um, and technology was expensive. So everything was very simplistic in its design um, as far as mechanically. But when it came to, you know, the craftsmanship of, of, of the parts and stuff like that, mind you, everything, virtually everything was handmade for the, you know, for, for the most part. Yes, they were on an assembly line and so forth, but, you know, but, you know, it's, yeah. Anyways, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 interesting that you know you, you take a look at it, and you had this this time period from like 1905, like 1903, 1905 to about 1926 which is when the real boom of all these automotive manufacturers came out. 
and they there was just a ton of them um you know and and it was also at this time that you know the 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 dodge brothers left uh left uh the ford motor company to create dodge brothers which would later become dodge um you know william c durant is buying up a bunch of different companies and so forth um you know and and so having all of these cars it must have been an absolutely amazing time you know you know it, it it's you know in if you could afford one yeah because cars were still for the 1% back then well, for the most part, um, there were several automotive manu- there were several Amer- U.S. automotive manufacturers who who got the idea um, more so than the Europeans. Um, for for the Europeans, the aristocracy and 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 the, and the upper echelon, um, there was uh, there was more to to uh, to kind of cater to um, in, in that aspect and. Um, because of the uh, the the ability of, of of everything was kind of really close in Europe, um, so it was much easier for the uh, the automobile to remain in the hands of 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 the of the rich and the elite. Um, you know, because they had been perfecting their their road systems and so forth. You know since the time of the Romans and, you know, and in 1905, you know, we were still at, I I don't even know if in, yeah, 1905, Arizona wasn't even a state then, you know, so, so you had this, this huge expansion out West and, and, and even, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the road conditions, in in, a, in the United States was just abysmal in the early in the early 1900s. I mean, it, it you know you had it wasn't. I mean, even with the um, hold on, I'm gonna get this get these dates correct. So yeah, so the 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 uh, the Federal Aid Road Act of 1916, uh, which was the first one, and then um, really in 1921, that was the big Federal Aid Highway Act because the the Federal Aid Road Act of 1916 expired in 1921, and then the 1921 Road Act. Um, was the big one that's what created uh famous roads like uh route 66 that's also when we got our roots um you know route one route two route three route four um but yeah but like 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 route 66 um 101 stuff like that um that's when all of that started to come about so all of these what was like wagon trails and stagecoach routes and stuff like that, all of a sudden became started to get linked together to uh, to create these long uh, 
you know, these, these long roads and stuff like that. And later on, uh, with the, uh, do, 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 do. when was it? Well, it was Eisenhower with a, um, with the, with a big yeah. that linked everything. Yeah. But I'm trying to get the, I'm trying to get the date. It was mid fifties. Oh, 56. 56. Yeah. And it was the 50s. Yeah. So night, yeah. So 1956, many of these routes would later get, you know, converted over into interstates and stuff, uh, mainly because Dwight D. Eisenhower saw how wonderful the Audubon system was that Hitler had created um, and to be able to move man and machine power and stuff. But like I said, I mean, in, 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 and that had a direct effect on the automobile industry um, because, yeah, it was easy to create a car, but to get one that was reliable, um, that, that's a whole different story. Um, I actually, uh, there was, a, I saw, there, uh, this was in Alabama. Uh, I'm not going to say exactly where because the guy kind of wanted to keep, uh, I mean, he may not be alive yet or now. I and mean, this was probably, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, but he, um, he had a collection of cars and uh, in this underground kind of uh, partially exposed basement kind of a thing uh, that instead of being just a regular basement, he actually had some garage doors and stuff. Um, he had a 1901 uh, Cadillac. And it was, uh, the story was, because he was kind of showing uh, me and a friend of mine, David, he was showing us this Cadillac and it was very interesting because um, he uh, he showed us this this one kind of section, and, and you're looking at this beautiful coachwork, this this hand hand carved you know kind of wood and everything. But there was this really kind of weird uh, weird little uh, wooden inserted section um, in the floorboard to you know to, to kind of you know, between the seat and, and the dash or what was the front of the car and what that, and that type of thing. And, and I saw it and I said, what happened here? Is this like a repair? And he said, no, what it was is, is there was a dentist in Nashville, Tennessee, and he bought the, uh, he, he's the one who bought the Cadillac. Well, at the time it would have taken like, a huge amount of time and really expensive to get the Cadillac shipped down from Michigan to ten, to Nashville, Tennessee. And it was much cheaper to take it down the Mississippi. And he met the car in Mobile, Alabama. And then on these little back roads, he drove from Mobile, Alabama all the way up to Nashville, Tennessee but evidently this dentist was really tall. So about, um, you know, about Montgomery, he stopped at a cabinetry shop and he had the guy actually lengthen it out for him, lengthen the, the coach work out for him so that he actually fit better in the car. So, uh, <laughs> You know, 
but stuff like that just happened. You know, you can't just, you know, you, you, you can't go somewhere and just kind of be like, Hey, I need you to completely modify the body of this car <laughs> to make it a little longer for me. Can you do that? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it makes sense. You know, you had non-adjustable seats, you know, they made the seat to fit one way. Your pedal box was here. The pedals didn't move in most cases and your seat was here. And if the seat fit you great, and if it was too long, then you had to have someone fix it. And if it was too short, you had to have someone lengthen it out. It was awful. Yeah. So things we take for granted these days. Yeah. But I mean it's 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 interesting in the fact that even though the United States um for the most part has been at the forefront of production numbers for automobiles. I mean, I mean, it kind of started with, um, you know, with Ransom, you know, you know, with Oldsmobile, with Ransom, Eli Olds, and, you know, and, and he was selling, you know, a number of cars. And then you had Henry Ford, which just exploded the whole thing. Uh, I think the Model T would go on to sell over 14 million cars, which is just an insane amount of numbers, especially for an automobile that didn't really change a ton um, over its lifespan. Um, and then, you know, of course you have the, uh, the insane figures of the, the Ford F series pickup truck, which still just absolutely boggles my mind. Um, <clears throat> but to, to see um you know, that, and the fact that you have, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad that, yeah, now it's, now it's come down to, I mean, technically you do have still Jeep and Chrysler and Dodge. Um, but the fact that they're mostly owned by Fiat, um, General Motors is, they're they're headquartered in Detroit still. Uh, Detroit, yeah, I think Detroit. And um, but the vast majority of their automobiles are built outside of the United States. So you know the fact that you now have. Um, Just really two automotive manufacturers <clears throat> who are headquartered in the United States. Um, you know, and in, in, in is um is is Chrysler Fiat are they headquartered? Where are they headquartered? Are they still headquartered in? Well, the okay, so the, I mean the the American branch of FCA Fiat Chrysler Automotive. Um, no, no, I'm talking about the the main. You know, because well, you have main, like General Motors headquarters. So the main, so the main headquarters of FCA. Well, that should be. I think it's in Turin, Italy. Turin, Italy. Okay. I think because that, because, because Fiat owns, right? So that's that's their headquarters. It's not that it's not a partnership between Fiat and Chrysler, although I want you to think it is. It's actually Fiat that owns, you know, CDJR, uh, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram. 
they own it. It's theirs. So, yeah. um, but the but the American branch of it, the CTJR part of it, to my understanding, is still in Michigan. Um, yeah. But 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 more to your point, I mean, like, okay, how many plants? How many automotive plants are in the U.S. owned by a U.S. automotive manufacturer? And outside of the outside of two, I can't think of any. One is the Dearborn plant that makes um, most of the F-series uh, pickup trucks and a couple other things, I think. And the Bowling Green plant that um, G- General Motors has that makes the Corvette. I can't think of anything else. Um, I, think there's, I think there's a few more. I think there's a few more. I mean, you know, because you, you've got a couple sporadically, you know, through here and there. Um, but, um, I mean, you are right. I mean, the, the, the number has gone down quite dramatically um you know for you know for the most part Um, well okay maybe that's too specific and i shouldn't speak out of turn if i don't have the exact numbers or anything but it's my understanding that at least you can say that the japanese manufacturer japanese manufacturers own sorry produce more cars in america i mean honda and toyota for the most part produce yeah. more cars in the U.S. than any American manufacturer does. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. If if you take out the the F series pickup trucks, well, even if you include those, I mean, just just in total, like, yes, I understand the F series is a huge huge number, but you've got, <laughs> um, I mean, it's you know, I don't know what the number is. I'm sure you've got it there somewhere in your in your in your database but um i i know as of 2017 uh the the 2017 sales figures the f-series pickup truck accounted for just over 60 percent of all automobiles sold in the united states sweet jesus okay so yeah so (laughs) yeah okay so so the only way to beat that then is to look at the number of diverse factories right so yeah Got, um, uh, Toyota has a main factory in uh, Kentucky that makes the Camry and a bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, Honda's got factories in uh, the Indiana factory that the makes Indiana factory. Uh, uh, the historic, I think you the, can actually say historic uh, Ohio, plant. Ohio factory. Yep. The, Ohio. First, the first foreign owned uh, car factory in, in America. Yep. Um, and um, they've got the in Alabama. Alabama's got several. Alabama's got Toyota. Um, I know around Huntsville, you have Huntsville, Alabama has uh, the Toyota engine plant where they make V6s and V8s. Yep. Um, I think Lincoln, Alabama, you have the Honda plant um, yep. and so, uh, slash Acura. Yep, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I know, and uh, Hyundai has plants in, in Alabama also. Uh, Tennessee has... Uh, just uh, so in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, you have uh, the the Nissan plant, uh, which I think still makes Centra. Centra, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Altima's and Centra's. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think you know if if you're if you're going to talk about automobile manufacturers and and kind of you know where everything went and so forth, uh, and 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 I do have. 
I think with this next step that we're about to make, um, because, you, you know, if, if you had asked me two years ago, um, you know, would we have a huge presence of electrified vehicles by 2025? I would have said no. I, 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 you know, I would have told you, no, there's no way in the world, you know, Tesla's, you know, they, I think they just barely announced the model three, but you know, it's kind of this pipe dream kind of a thing. And then everything Um, I I can tell you on at the very beginning of 2019, um, I I think you're going to see more and more uh, manufacturers switch over to that. And with that, um, comes you're going to have a lot of companies. I mean, you already have Rivian, you already have Tesla. Um, you have, there's a, a Chinese manufacturer that's going to be bringing over. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I think you're going to see more electric automotive manufacturers because when it comes to research and development, um, it's a ton easier to create an electrified platform than it is to try and do all of the R&D, all of the emissions qualifications and so forth and so on with, you know, for, uh, for internal combustion engines. You know, I mean, the, the, the vast millions and, and hundreds of millions of dollars that have gone into, you know, the research and development, you know, over the years of the internal combustion engine is just insane. Um, so I, I, so I, I, even though right now it looks bleak <laughs> for the most part, um, you know, but I mean, I mean, I mean, you can, you know, the same thing can be said for Europe, you know, Europe used to have a lot more automotive manufacturers, um, than ever be, you know, than, than before. Um, the, the British, you know, just, just the, the, the English automotive manufacturing, I mean, you had some prehistoric brands that, I mean, look at Mini Cooper. I mean, I think Mini Cooper is probably one of the best examples where everything is, designed and built by Germans and you know yeah it's built in the UK but having something built there and having it be that you know I I, I think it's lost some of that essence so you make a very good point though it's uh, the the future of American uh, American automotive manufacturing is is in electric it just is you know, yeah. and everyone sort of settled on this this sort of skateboard design, which makes it really easy. Which essentially is, you start out with a massive battery pack as your floor, you put wheels on it, you may attach the wheels to the motors, and then you build it up from there. Which the first time I ever heard of a skateboard design, um, when it came to that, um, was actually by General Motors. It was uh, I Were remember EV one. Um, no, no, no. This was before even the EV one. This was. Uh, this was the mid '90s, um, 
and I think it was at some kind of, I, I remember reading it in an automobile magazine. I can't even tell you which one, um, but they were, they were talking about, you know, Hey, if you have just this electrified platform, you can just bolt stuff to it and it could be a car, it could be a truck, it could be, you know, a minivan or whatever. You just bolt everything to it and stuff like that. And if, and if you get tired of whatever you have bolted to it, you just go and you buy something, you know, you buy another chassis to, you know, or, or, or another body just to kind of bolt to it. And so it was that kind of idea, um, but it never really went anywhere as far as from them, you know, but now you have it being perfected by, well, I mean, the, the latest example would be Rivian with their R1T and their R1S, you know, basically just on this exact same body. Uh, and then they can, I think they're going to try to come out with um, a compact SUV um, on, a, on a slightly smaller version of, uh, of that, um, which makes sense. I mean, look how far Tesla has been able to expand uh, its chassis. Yeah, as I understand it, it's, it is the um, the Model Three and the and the S slash X. They are two different platforms, um, and everyone's all the, the the latest news today, right? Was the was Tesla's unofficial announcement, but that's kind of official that the Model Y is coming, and how this is supposed to be groundbreaking. You know, the compact crossover, and it's going to save the company, and blah blah blah, and all this. Uh, I think they. I think. I think the announcement's on uh, on the 16th. I think it's on Saturday. Yeah, so there was like all over, it was all over my news feed today. But, you know, the, the, the unofficial announcement that they're going to announce it. And, and it's like, yes, we knew about this a long time ago. It was whether Tesla was going to say financially solvent long enough to make it happen. And now it looks like it's likely to happen that way. But that, that's great. And, and Tesla needs to move forward because you front lines, somebody willing to take the hit, somebody's willing to take the risks, you know, look at the feasibility of the technology, somebody who's got that kind of ability to absorb it when things go wrong, because they're going to go really wrong. Uh, and then pay, sort of pave the way, right, for companies like Rivian and whatever comes next. Yeah. Because this is this is really where the, where things are going. The the internal combustion engine, and we'll, we talk about this quite a bit, um, you and I, and we'll continue to talk about it. The number of efficiency advances, the number of emissions advances in the internal combustion over the last, call it 10 years, has been staggering. Oh, my gosh. Be that as it may, there are still things. When you look at the fact that internal combustion is arguably close to its zenith, close to as good as it will ever be, and electrification is in its infancy, it's not hard to see where the industry is going. I, I don't I, I, I think I disagree with the fact that the internal combustion engine is is close to its zenith. Um, I, I think there is a lot more manufacturing or, or a lot more advancements uh, that can come from it. Um, but I, I it's it's definitely closer to the end than it is the beginning. I, I, w- I will say that. I'll take it. Uh, yeah, because that's it's. I mean, you're you, you have efficiency ratings that are just insane. I mean, just absolutely insane. I mean, you had, you know, in just 
let's say 1990. So what was that? 30 years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 30 years ago in 1990, if you had, you know, I will, let's, let's take a Hold on. I'm going to look something up. So let's see here. So let's say, um, uh, gas mileage, 1990, um, what do you want to look let's at? Let's say Chevy on? Cavalier. Okay. Which is a compactor, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. So, oh my gosh. Uh, so a Chevy Cavalier in 1990, um, was 22 city, 33 highway. I mean, holy cow. Okay. And now, the, I mean, those are figures close to uh, Honda Odyssey. Mm, they're I mean, roughly, four I mean, to, roughly four to five miles per gallon better than a Honda Odyssey. But, yeah. but more, more relevant is the fact that the highway figure is not that far away. It's only a couple. It's only a mile or two per gallon better than what this Honda Civic now gets in the city. That's the amazing part. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you have the Civic, which gets over that. I mean, you know, over forty miles per gallon highway better on on the highway. Yeah. So, so I think maybe, I mean, you know, because it's it's easy to make an engine efficient. At high RPMs, sure. Yeah, and and at highway speeds, but everything else, you know, has really changed. Um, so you know, I mean, so kind of going along with that, you know, it's I I, I think that with the advancements in in battery technology, and it really does have to get much better um because i mean you, you know it's it's the ability to charge faster and the ability to go further per charge um even though i it's and what's frustrating to me is and as a person who has you know driven an electric car a, a, a short range electric car, I, I guess I can kind of finally say, you know, cause my fit EV was about 70 mile range and my clarity is about 90. Um, you know, the, 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 these, these 200 mile, you know, 300, 400 mile figures are, are nice, but for, you know, but for the, for the average person, you're really, it's 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 more it's more subliminal than it is actual oh you mean like subconscious more yeah yeah i mean you know it's just like yeah see people like i'm just to piggyback off that for a minute so yeah people, people always freak out about the range and range is great but really honestly range doesn't matter my my gas car i have now gets 250 because it's a small tank, it gets about 250 miles on a tank of gas. No big deal. I couldn't care less. Why couldn't I care less? Because it takes me five minutes to fill the gas tank. 
Now, if it takes you an hour and a half, it takes you three hours, takes you 10 hours to charge your car, that's ridiculous. So if you can, electric batteries need to do, you basically electric cars need to have three things to make, to get widespread adoption. You need to have one standard charger type so you can go up to any charger in the country and it's all the same. Yes, please. You have to be able to recharge the car from dead to full in 15 minutes tops, preferably 10. And three, the battery needs to be light enough and efficient enough to make it worthwhile to put in any car or to have an any car body style and size. That's it. Uh, those, take care I, of those three things and everything else will follow. Um, I mean, for, for the most part, I agree with you. Um, you know, I mean, kind of going back to, you know, what we originally were talking about and stuff like that, you know, it's, it's going to take the involvement and, uh, and you really kind of see this, you know, with, uh, you know, General Motors kind of took the, took the lead on this um, as far as, you know, of course, after Tesla. Um, I, I, I kind of feel sorry for Elon Musk sometimes because he, he really, he's the, he, it's like he's the one with the machete cutting down all of the branches and so forth you know, to kind of clear the path for everyone else. Um, I, I was actually, I was talking with a, uh, with a, with a friend of mine who happens to be uh, Nepalese, uh, you know, from, from Nepal. And we were joking about um, how, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary, uh, who was the first person to, uh, to, to, to scale Mount Everest and, and come back alive. And uh, we're, we were joking that, you know, that, that here he is, you know, towards the top and, you know, his, uh, his Sherpa got to the very top of it and kind of, you know, come here, Mr. Hillary, let, let, let me give you a hand up here. Okay. And then he gets up there and he's like, I am the first person on Mount Everest and is able to plant the British flag. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you got to kind of think, you know, the, the, the Sherpa is kind of going, didn't I just help you up here? Aren't, aren't, aren't I the first person? So, you know, yeah. you know, so, was, but yeah, but I mean, Tenzin, Tenzing Norgay was the name of the Sherpa. And uh, yeah. more than that, Tenzing Norgay had a 50 or 60 pound backpack on while all of a sudden Hillary had on was a bunch of jackets. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, now, now, first. now I did learn though that, uh, that, that you said, you said ten, uh, Tenze? Ten, Tenzin. Yeah. Sorry. Tenzin. Uh, Tenzin. Uh, his son, because he's because he sent his son uh, with because uh, he actually did get kind of paid pretty well for for assisting Edmund Hillary. Um, he actually got paid pretty well, and he was able to send his son to uh, business school. And evidently, his son is like one of the richest guys in Nepal. He's he's Perfect. he's done very well for himself. So Cosmic justice. Yeah, there you go. So, so anyway, to get back to the, to the American car thing. Yeah, a nice segue though. I, I enjoyed that. Is right now CTJR Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram is the well FCA in general is the largest buyer of these green car credits. You know, every time you build an electric car, like yeah. um, or like even like a really good hybrid, right? You get you get these credits, um, and then you can sell them to other car manufacturers who need them. And FCA is by far the largest buyer of these credits in the world. You know, when we have things like Maserati and in everything Hellcat 
you know, and Jeeps, which aren't exactly, you know, gas sippers. You're going to need a lot of those things. But if you can take that stuff that's high torque, high power, and convert that over to electric, even part of it, I mean, Maserati is going completely electric, or I should say at the minimum electric assist over the next five years, that's going to be a huge turnaround. So if anybody is going to benefit from widespread electrification, it's it's going to be FCA. Um, Well, but... So um, one of the things that 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 I found was one of the, one of the coolest things that I that I found, and, and and this was within the last year, and it came from probably the 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 most if if you look at technological advancement in in, in, in automobiles. The Jeep Wrangler is probably the antithesis of that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's um, but the the new E assist for for its four cylinder um, is is quite dramatic. Um, not necessarily in its function. I mean, you know, Honda's. You know, Honda had uh, the integrated motor assist. Um, you know, other manufacturers have put, you know, some kind of, you know, motor assist, that type of thing. But for this to be applied to arguably the best off-roading vehicle built in the world as of right now, I mean, the, 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 the most capable and, uh, and, and I know you Land Rover people are going to start shouting and stuff like that easy calm down and you know think about how many times a, a jeep has had to pull you out of a ditch anyways well, one, how, how many how many boulders have a land rover gone over not many right no usually yeah. made for that kind of stuff so it's yeah. a purpose-built you know road legal yeah yeah but um you know but american manufacturers are finally starting to truly embrace um you know uh, electrification and and I think they are they're seeing uh, the the benefits of it, and I think um, yeah. I, I think in, in in thirty years when we look back on them, um, you know a, a a place in history has to be given to Elon Musk uh, for uh, you know for 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 being probably the um, I, I associate Elon Musk more with P.T. Barnum than Henry Ford. <laughs> would, would, would you say that that's, that's pretty fair? It's, it, it's, I, okay. I would have said that, said that was fair if I didn't um, listen to the Joe Rogan podcast with Elon Musk. And there's a lot more going on than P.T. Barnum. It's more sort of that's sort of the image that he presents to, to people in a lot of situations. But there is a massively powerful brain behind that showmanship. Oh no, no, no! Well, and, and so did P.T. Barnum. Well, P.T. Yeah. Barnum was, was a really intelligent individual. He had a mind for for everything. Now, yes. now his his goal was the showmanship. Elon Musk's goal is is he thinks he truly believes that he's going to change the world and he's going to save humanity with what he's doing. No, and 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 I and I agree with that. So maybe just a mix of Henry Ford and P.T. Barnum. 
Because Henry Ford, he just basically just barreled through and 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 was able to, you know, kind of piece stuff together and put stuff together um, and, and make it work. And, and that's what sold the car um, as opposed to, you know, Elon Musk. It, it's it's through Elon's sheer uh, force of personality and his ability to sell the Tesla dream, to, to, to sell the Tesla. Because in reality, there's no reason to buy a Tesla. There just isn't, um, and, and 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 I know a lot of people kind of kind of scream at that, but there is a, a a cult of personality with Tesla. It's the only group of owners I've ever heard about who are more self righteous about their purchase than Prius owners. Yeah, yeah, I can kind of see that. Not all of them, right? But as a group. And in general, more so than not. Somewhat, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, it's starting to change now, now that they're becoming less elite and more, more commonplace, but, but still. More dedicated. I mean, how many, how many people would have forked up $1,000 to be put on a waiting list and you have, I, I, I think that there was it was less than I think the refund rate was around maybe 20%. I'm not even sure it was that high. I mean, are yeah. you kidding me? Well, no. I mean, even if it were 20%, it, it should have been 50. Because you had... Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, the fact that they waited for years, literally, you had, you know, you, at the end of 2017, going into 2018, the news was just absolutely bleak as far as the manufacturing and, and, and all of the, the problems that they had and so forth. Oh, the production hell, as he put it. Oh, yeah. In, in Elon's own words, the production hell. And you have only 20%, less than 20% of the people wanted a refund. That is a cult of personality. And in, in the, I think, in, in the truest definition of the term. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be him. Um, I, I think uh, some, some has to be given to, um, you know, maybe the Nissan Leaf, uh, which I think actually sold more units than, uh, than any other electric car. Um, but, um, but, but General Motors has really stepped up. You know they've got the Bolt, uh, with uh, which was the first truly affordable electric car with over two hundred.
Yes, Matt. What's up? Yeah, so I mean, I mean, anyways, with the, the, uh, the new time has been the most popular EV of like, like since it came out practically. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Nissan Leaf, you know, but you know, if we're kind of getting back to the automotive manufacturing, you know, the American automotive manufacturing. I mean, I, I think, I think you're going to see more. Um, I mean, you have the announcement uh, that. You know, Ford is, you know, the, the, the next generation Ford F-Series pickup truck will have a fully electric version. Um, you know, I just, I, I think the future is very bright. Um, and, you know, but I, I, I do think that as far as American automotive manufacturing, um, for the most part, I think globalization has had its impact. Um, so, but I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I guess that remains to be seen. It's been a good thing overall, you know, between the sharing of technology and just the way that, you know, competition sort of raises all boats kind of a thing, you know, when you had, you know, when you had just say, I don't know, Ford versus GM, right, as your only options. And then I'm, I'm thinking of like, I don't know, just call it mid to late 70s at this point. You know, you think about how awful some of those vehicles were. And it wasn't until the Japanese came in and said, hey, we can do this as well or better than you can. We can do it better and cheaper. And, yeah. the, and the Americans said, oh, we should really try harder, huh? And, you know, all these supercars that fell apart right up until the NSX came out. And Ferrari yeah. said, oh, we should make a car that actually can drive more than 2,000 miles and not need an engine out service. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, it's, I think it's great. And, you know, let's, let's have more globalization. For the most part, I, I think there's something to be said for, you know, for maybe, you know, trying to, you know, a little bit of national pride, you know, and kind of like our thing is better than your thing and, you know, kind of bring it. I, I think know. national pride would be great if the cars were actually made in America, but <laughs> for the most part, I'm not so into it. Well, next you're going to tell me that stock car racing isn't actually based on stock cars. <laughs> um, after the podcast, I have some bad news for you. So anyways, um, so I, I think we can end it there. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm no, Zach. you're Matt. <laughs> you got I'm Matt. me. I'm Zach. Uh, it's late at night. I'm yeah, kind of tired. We're MZ Car Guys. And um, look for us on all the social medias, uh, Instagram. Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, the YouTube, and uh, mzcarguys at gmail.com. Yep. We'll see you next Absolutely. week, guys. Vroom, vroom, guys.